hope you all had a refreshing July 4th celebration, a weekend. Uh, we thank God for the freedoms and abundant blessings he's given us here in the United States and uh, for 241 years because of the faith of Abraham. July 1st was also Canada Day. That was their 150th anniversary. And you realize when you go back to the founding documents, we know the United States is founded on biblical principles and a respect for God in the way of uh, revealed in the Bible. But I wondered about Canada. Well, I did look that up, and their constitution under the preamble to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms as a part of their 1982 constitution states, quote, whereas Canada is founded upon the principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. I think they've forgotten that very much. In fact, we uh, sang one of our hymns, let the nations know that that have forgotten God. And certainly uh, Canada is certainly in a great way in that direction. But we thank God for the blessings he's given us and for the privilege to be preaching the gospel to the world and all the nations. Well, God was a father to Israel, and even though Canada and the United States no longer, uh, as a majority, follow God's law and respect God, God was a father to Israel. You might turn, uh, well, I had you turn to Exodus, the 20th chapter, but hold your place there and turn back to uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, Jeremiah 31st chapter. Here we have the evidence that the, the eternal, who, the one who became Jesus Christ, was a father to Israel. Uh, Jeremiah 31 and uh, verse 9. This is talking about the second exodus. And, of course, the chapter 31 is about the new covenant as well. And they shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. The nations have forgotten God as the father of Israel, the Western nations, and, of course, even the father to Canada, the father to uh, the United States and other English-speaking nations. It's just very sad that the nations have forgotten, but they will, in the future... When this second exodus come, uh, takes place, they will remember and they will be uh, will emphasize, they will be taught that God is the Father of Israel. And uh, I won't turn there, but Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6, you know, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. So even the Messiah was called the Everlasting Messiah, Everlasting Father in Isaiah 9, 6. He was a, the father of Israel. Now, George Washington is considered a father to the United States. Why is that? Well, he was the general of the Revolutionary Army, and he served two terms as the first president of the United States. And, of course, we have the latest Tomorrow's World magazine. Um, ours arrived Wednesday with the uh, colorful flags of Britain and the United States. How many of you received your latest July, August? Good. So it arrived on July 5th in a, a beautiful magazine. Hope you uh, will be reading through it if you haven't already. 
I read through the startling articles even showing the foundation of the principles, founding principles of the United States and Great Britain. Though God was a father to Israel, but how many in the world today even honor God as their heavenly father? Do we honor our physical parents and fulfill that commandment, which we had opened up to, Exodus uh, 20 and uh, verse 1. God spoke all these words, saying, So here was the one who became Jesus Christ, the Yahweh, the Eternal, spoke with that powerful voice. And as you may have heard Mr. Wally Smith's uh, sermon about Pentecost, the power and the lightning, the thundering, and the volcano uh, being on fire, and the mountain being on fire. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Eternal, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So this was Pentecost, uh, seven weeks after they had kept Passover, and now they were before that great mountain. Then they heard the fifth commandment, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the eternal your God is giving you. So do we honor our physical parents and fulfill that commandment? Do we honor our Heavenly Father every day of our life? And do we honor the New Jerusalem, the mother of us all? I won't turn there now, but that's Galatians 4, verse 26. Jerusalem above, the mother of us all. We think about some examples of people honoring their parents. Of course, in the United States and many countries around the world observe a Mother's Day and a Father's Day. Um, of course, we know that we need to not honor uh, our parents just on those days, but every day of the year. So how can we honor our father and mother? And are we now demonstrating respect towards our parents, or have we in the past? And how can parents help their children to fulfill the fifth commandment? And what if your parents were abusive? What if your parents are deceased? Can you still honor them? And even if your parents are unknown, actually there are probably thousands of of children in the world that don't even know who their parents are or were. So in what ways have you honored your parents? In his autobiography, Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote about honoring his mother when she turned 80 years of age. In his autobiography, volume 2, page 129, he talks about his mother's 80th birthday. He said he didn't want to necessarily observe the birthday, but his sister, and that was surprising to me, he didn't realize much about his family, he had a sister um, up in uh, Portland, and they were in Eugene. And on that day, he actually got his mother to fly from Eugene to Portland. That was a, a special occasion for her. She was... Uh, 80 years of age, he says, I decided it was time she began to fly, and she was quite willing. So they flew from Eugene, Oregon, to Portland, Oregon. It seemed that 80 was a very ripe old age. <laughs> uh, one who's speaking of that age. Uh, one that deserved honoring. But God granted my mother an additional 15 and a half years after that Fifteen and a half years of enjoying life abundantly. 
And although it's not recorded in the autobiography, my, my wife was there in the Pasadena Civic Auditorium when uh, Mr. Armstrong's mother turned 95. There were 3,000 members of the Radio Church of God in the Pasadena Civic Auditorium for a Holy Day service. In the course of those services, Mr. Armstrong wheeled a woman in a wheelchair out onto the stage. Who was that woman? It was Mr. Armstrong's 95-year-old mother. He wanted her to see the audience. He wanted to pay special honor to her. So it's not like the kind of birthdays where you invite someone to give me gifts. You know, you have to celebrate my birthday and this type of thing. It's an honoring of age and a milestone. In fact, I was at Mr. Armstrong's, uh, well, uh, we call it, on his 90th birthday, which would have been July 31st, 1982. We had just completed the uh, summer educational program on the Big Sandy campus, and I was invited to fly with Mr. Armstrong on the G3 from Big Sandy up to Orr, Minnesota. And uh, we flew up there, and uh, Captain Black uh, uh, managed to fly the plane and stop the plane on the short runway with about five feet to spare. He said, oh, I had, I had five feet left over. But we went on over to the campus. Mr. Armstrong gave the sermon. Afterwards, he addressed the camp staff. And uh, one of his assistants had arranged 80, no, yeah, those 80th birthday. 80 roses there and uh, had them on a table and uh, had a microphone. And I knew exactly what I was going to say And said, as he came up to the microphone. Well, you know we don't observe birthdays, uh, but this was a milestone in his life. And uh, it was very special to be with him on that day. We uh, went up to uh, uh, International Falls to refuel and then flew out to Burbank. That was his 90th birthday. So you think of uh, honoring those uh, parents or grandparents. Turn to John, the 19th chapter, and you'll see, of course, a classic example, and we heard uh, something about that even in the sermonette of the special situation in which Jesus had to put forth the effort with uh, restricted breathing to put forth his breath and to tell Ask God to forgive them, for they know not what they do. But he also cared for his mother. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, which would be John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Verse 27, then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. So even while he was dying, he wanted to make sure that his mother was being cared for. Turn to Luke, the second chapter, another example of Jesus, but in this case, as a boy. How did he honor his parents? Luke 2 and verse 51, of course, they missed him. He was, they were heading back up to Nazareth when he was there in Jerusalem. They finally came back and found him and said, uh, verse 49, he said to them, why did you not seek me? Did you not know that I must be about 
my father's business. So even then he had an awareness of his heavenly father. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. How did he honor his parents? He was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. My turn to uh, James, the first chapter. Of course, we know that the ideal is to have two parent families, but as time goes on, the demographics and family configurations are changing. The U.S. Census of uh, November 17, 2016, uh, makes this uh, uh, summary. The majority of America's 73.7 million children under age 18 live with families with two parents, 69%. Uh, That, to me, was surprising. I thought it was much less. But that's November 17, 2016. According to to new statistics released today from the U.S. Census Bureau, this is compared to other types of living arrangements such as living with grandparents or having a single parent. The second most common family arrangement is is children living with a single mother at 23%. So 23% of the families uh, in the United States or children, whatever that, I'll have to collect, uh, check on that, live with a single mother at 23%. Between 1960 and 2016, the percentage of children living in families with two parents decreased from 88% to 69%. So there has been a a dramatic shift, a dramatic change. The percentage of children with not living with any parent increased slightly from 3 to 4%. The percentage of children living only with their mother nearly tripled from 1960 to 2016 from 8 to 23%. And the percentage of children living only with their father increased from 1 to 4%. So there are children that are fatherless. And so we read in James 1 and verse 26. James 1, verse 26. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit or care for orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Or the King James has a fatherless. When we consider the fifth commandment, we need to understand that we, if we're going to have pure religion, need to have that care for the orphans and widows, the fatherless. There's another shocking, well, I say shocking, I think we're all aware of the changing times of uh, runaway children. This is from the National Runaway uh, Safe Line. Data was collected on 33,627 crisis-related connections at the National Runaway Safe Line. And uh, another report, has shown that those children that run away, and one in seven young people between the ages of 10 and 18 in the United States will run away. 
That's from the National Conference of State Legislatures. And youth aged 12 to 17 are more at risk of homelessness than adults. 75% of runaways are female. It just again points out, brethren, and we, I think we're all aware that parents, schools, churches, and communities need to teach and exemplify the fifth commandment. And we as God's people need to set the example. My turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians, sixth chapter. So while we have fragmenting families, you know, Mr. Weston had, of course, in our previous Tomorrow's World issue, which been the uh, April, May, January, March, April, May, June issue, uh, Why Children Go Wrong. And, uh, of course, he listed in that hypocrisy of parents, lack of wisdom, and then lack of exposure, um, and then lack of uh, instruction. That's why children go wrong. So we need to make sure that we're doing our part as the family of God, both physically and spiritually. And I know there are some, I mentioned before, that there are children who don't know their parents. You still honor your parents if you don't even know who they were or are. But we'll talk about how do you still honor your parents. You still do that by being a successful Christian. Because someday, if you didn't know who your parents were, in the white throne judgment, you'll meet them. And you'll be able to say, or Christ will be able to say, this young girl, this young man, this young boy, honored you by being a successful Christian by following my way of life, the way of life and the way of God's law and commandments, and was a successful person, this child fulfilled the seven laws of success, setting a right goal, the right goal, and having preparation and education, good health, drive, resourcefulness, perseverance, and continuous contact with God. So whatever state you are as a person, you had a father, you had a mother, you still need to honor your father and mother, whether they're deceased or whether they're, they were abusive or whether you don't even know who they were. So how can you honor your human parents and also honor your father in heaven and the new Jerusalem, the mother of us all. The title of the sermon today is Honor Your Parents Always. Keeping the fifth commandment. Honor your parents always. So Ephesians, the sixth chapter, gives us responsibilities. I'm going to give you, uh, quickly or slowly, uh, ten different ways to honor your parents. And we'll see. And then after that, of another split sermon to add after that. Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, verse 1. So you obey your parents in the Lord. 
I think uh, Dr. Meredith has told the story about the Raymond McNair family. Carl and Raymond McNair came to Ambassador College and how they were in a farming community and their parents insisted, the father insisted, that they uh, work on Saturday. And God was revealing to them that they needed to uh, keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. They obeyed God, their father, and they submitted to their physical father who punished them I understand, and maybe Mr. Rod McNair can clarify that for us, uh, punish them, but they obeyed their parents in the Lord and uh, submitted they obeyed God rather than man, of course, as, as Peter said there in Acts, the fifth chapter. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we have the responsibilities of children. We have the responsibilities of fathers and bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, with Christ. So we honor our parents even by fulfilling our family responsibilities. Mr. Rod McNair had an article in the Tomorrow's World magazine, May, June 2007, Fatherless Families. He writes, many children today grow up without a father in the home. What does it mean to have a father? What does it mean to be a father? The Bible shows how God the Father is another, is the author and example of successful fatherhood. And his, the subtitles are... In the article, Choosing Fatherlessness, increasingly older single mothers are choosing to become pregnant without a husband. One 31-year-old single mother noted that when she became pregnant, it didn't matter if I had a man because I knew I could do it alone. Sad what is happening because people are not keeping the commandments of God. Another subhead in the article, Fatherless Families by Mr. Rod McNair, Roots of Paternal Conflict. It gives the example of uh, one greeting card company that offered a free greeting card for Mother's Day. The lines were so long, representatives had to return to the factory to get more cards. The program was so successful, the company decided to come back on Father's Day. What happened on Father's Day? Nothing. There were no lines at all. Not a single inmate wanted to send a card to his father. Mr. McNair writes, Truly a loving relationship with a father has a profound effect on one's life, and the lack of an engaged active father is a strong determining factor in behavior gone awry. And he references Dobson's book on bringing up boys. Some of the other headings here are Fathers Provide, Fathers protect, fathers teach, do girls need fathers, and fathers nurture. He concludes the article on fatherless families. Will good family men become extinct? Not as long as there are men and women who appreciate fathers' importance in society today and in the future. God has given us the family's role, father's role as a mirror image of his protection, providence, discipline, and love for all humanity. As Father's Day approaches, we should thank God our Father for the gift of fatherhood. 
So, brethren, we need to make sure that we are recapturing the true values of family. This is we read in James 1.27. Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father, is to visit orphans or fatherless and widows in their trouble and to keep themselves unspotted from the world. So one way to honor your parents is to make sure that each of us is fulfilling his or her own God-given family responsibilities, whether it's a son, daughter, mother, father, grandparents, grandchildren, uncles, aunts, etc. Second way of fulfilling the fifth commandment is to teach children the fifth commandment. Thankfully, our children are very well aware of it, but the world is not. And we can understand why the families are fragmenting here in the United States and all over because they are not being taught. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Your parents are well aware of this scripture. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the eternal our God is... The Lord is one. You shall love the eternal your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So a second way of honoring your parents is to teach them God's way of life. And, of course, Abraham did that. Uh, He was one who obeyed, as it said in Genesis 26, 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. But fulfill your responsibility, the fifth commandment, by teaching children the fifth commandment. A third way of honoring your parents is to love your spiritual family. And I feel we have that quite a bit of that family love here in the Charlotte congregation. We turn to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew 12. This is an amazing example from our Savior. Matthew, the 12th chapter. In our spiritual family relationships. Matthew 12 and verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. to him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What an astounding statement. Saying, This disciple is my mother, my sister. Or my brother. What an awesome opportunity Christ gives us to be close to him. And we love our spiritual family. 
which it says in John 15:13, greater love is no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. So number three, love your spiritual family. Number four, consider your personal example. Both my parents worked when I was a boy, but I appreciated the stability of our home. My sister was about a year and four months younger than I, but my mother always encouraged me in my schoolwork. And uh, I didn't realize that she was applying. I don't think she did it in a psychological way. I think it was a natural motherly way. Uh, she just always expected that I would do well in school and other areas of life. So years later, when I was giving a Tomorrow's World presentation in Jacksonville, Florida, my parents were visiting from Connecticut. So I don't know. Uh, that would have been 78, so I would have been uh, oh, 42 years of age. And I told my mother, I'm doing a, a Tomorrow's World presentation to a group of subscribers over here, we had Tomorrow's World magazine uh, just as an inset uh, Dr. Meredith uh, formulated back in the Worldwide Church of God. We had the Tomorrow's World magazine then, by the way. So we had Tomorrow's World presentations then. And I said, Mom, I'm doing this uh, presentation. She said, Richard, I know you'll do well. And wow, it just struck me. She had been giving me this positive reinforcement all my life. And now at age 42, the light went on and realized what she had been doing all these years. So we need to have that positive reinforcement for all of our families. I did a, a terrible thing as a boy. I was uh, I was probably about age 10. I, I forget the incident exactly, but I slapped my father in the face, and he didn't discipline me, so I lost respect for him. But I might just turn back to Exodus uh, 23.15. Exodus 23.15, and the amount of disrespect from our youth today and fragmented families is certainly despicable. And what I did was despicable because it says here, and he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. I, as a 10-year-old, should have, under the law, should have been put to death. Well, when I around age 26 as a freshman at Ambassador College, I was meditating on the fifth commandment. And uh, at night in bed, and I just thought back about my, my life and how my mother had changed my diapers and cared for me, rocked me in a chair, and how my father had taught me chess and played the violin for me. And, and I really came to a... a a, a, I suppose you'd call it a repentance and, an, a, and a realization of how wrong I had been as a boy. And from that moment on, I, I bawled. Actually, I was crying. From that moment on, I decided, look, I am going to honor and respect my father even though I hadn't in the past. And from that, it changed my life. 
and I started to respect my father's office. And after respecting his office, I began to respect him more and more. We played chess together. I um, encouraged him. My whole life had changed. My attitude had changed. Because God helped me to apply the fifth commandment in a spiritual way to my physical father. He was not in the church. Neither was my mother at that point in time. Well, she never was. She became a co-worker later on. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And notice verse 17. He who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. So children, and uh, we're all children, we need to realize how serious it is that God puts the father and mother in an office of respect. And uh, finally, at at age uh, 26, uh, I had more of that respect than I ever had before. So how do you honor your parents? Have you How have you honored your parents? Number four, consider your personal example. And after my writing and communicating with my parents, we had a, a much greater and wonderful relationship. Number five, I've referred to this in the previous comments, respect the office of your father and mother by obediently responding. They have an office. And even if you didn't respect them in their personality or in their conduct, their routine of life, but you still respect the office to which they hold as father or mother. Turn back to Leviticus 19. Uh, Leviticus 19 and uh, verse 1. Leviticus 19 and verse 1. And the Eternal said to Moses, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Eternal, your God, am holy. Verse 3, Leviticus 19. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the eternal your God. So even in the context of Sabbath keeping, God says you shall respect, honor, revere your father and mother. Not revere his worship, obviously. The King James Version has fear. The NIV has respect. Respect his father and mother. So you show respect by your language and your communication in the southern part of the United States, children are reared, to, taught to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And other parts of the country, that's uh, not so well accepted. Other regions say, yes, dad, yes, mom. And, of course, as a boy, one time when my mother asked me to take, Richard, take out the garbage. I said, ah, oh, ma, you know, with a kind of complaining voice, said, Richard. When I ask you to do something, you smile and you do it. Yes, mom. The smile. Well, that was the message. That wasn't, that's not a direct quote, but that was the message that she gave me. And so how do we respond? Do we respond in a positive way? And, of course, we need to have that positive attitude. We've had sermons on that when Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And, again, I say rejoice. 
And Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. So we want to make sure we're doing that in Deuteronomy 28 where it says that you're going into captivity because you did not serve me with cheerfulness of heart. But we want to have a positive response to our parents. One example of obedience to the parental office is the example of the Rechabites. It's because the... uh, Jeremiah, the 35th chapter. Rechab was the patriarch of the family. And God is telling Jeremiah, look, my nation is supposed to obey me. I'm their father, and yet they're not obeying me. Look at the family of the Rechabites. Their children obey their father, Rechab. Uh, Jeremiah 35, verse 18 And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and have done according to all that he commanded you, yes, they respected the office and obeyed responsibly. Therefore, thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Back in verse 16, Jeremiah says, Surely the sons of Jonabab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but his people has not obeyed, but this people has not obeyed me. I'm their father, and they're not obeying me. What You know the story, I won't go into it, but... Um, God told Jeremiah, get the family of the Rechabites and and tell them to drink wine. Well, they refused to drink wine because their father, Rechab, gave them a commandment that they should not. So God honored the family of the Rechabites, as we just saw. They were obedient. They responded to their father. So number four is honor the office of father and mother and obey responsibly or by obediently responding. Number five, express appreciation. And uh, Dr. and Mrs. Jeff Fall taught their children to design their own greeting cards. And uh, some of us are not uh, as artistic and may want to purchase greeting cards. But for those children who can, their unique thoughts and designs are very heartwarming. And, uh, you know, uh, some of uh, your children have given me and my wife a little uh, of their own artistic uh, writings. And even when they were two or three years of old, I still have uh, some of the scribblings on my office wall from some of your children. Thank you. I wrote a poem to my mother to express appreciation to her when she turned 85. I may have shared this poem with you before. Mom, you've been so kind to us, your generosity flows. Your courage and cheerful positiveness is something everyone knows. I always remember your rocking me when childhood fears came near. You comforted and reassured to I felt calm till I felt calm, secure, and clear. You've helped your husband, children, friends, 
You gave peace in human relations. At work, at play, in family time, you could teach the United Nations. And now you've reached a milestone great to smile at 85. Honor, joy, and peace to you. You're the greatest mom alive. Now, how else can we honor our parents? We express appreciation. We also encourage one another. Some of these are overlapping, of course. Let's turn to Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews 3, verse 13. We have a, a sermon number 630, encourage one another. Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We exhort one another, certainly in Bible studies and Sabbath services, but also individually and comfort one another. Actually, the uh, New King James says, exhort one another while it is today. Um, but the uh, NASB and other translations have it, but encourage one another day after day. So how do you encourage one another? I think I've already referred to the law of reinforcement. And that law of reinforcement is that living organisms tend to repeat behaviors for which they're rewarded, and tend not to repeat behaviors for which they are not rewarded. So my wife goes to a great deal of trouble and say, putting candles on the dining table for dinner, and I come home and say, what are you trying to do, heat up the house? Well, she's not been rewarded. She's not going to repeat that behavior again. You're not going to go to all that trouble. But if I reward her and say, honey, oh, those candles look so pretty out here, that's so beautiful... She's going to repeat that behavior because I've reinforced her. Now, that whole method can be psychologically abused. But God the Father talked to Jesus Christ when he was baptized. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's Matthew 3, verse 17. And even then on the transfiguration of the mountain, Matthew 17, He said, that is verse 5, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So, yes, we need to encourage one another and, and show that appreciation. Another way in showing appreciation and encouraging is by hugs, H-U-G-Z-S, <laughs> hugging one another. Um, BBC News had this, How Hugs Can Aid Women's Hearts. A team from the University of North Carolina studied the effects of hugging on both par- partners in 38 couples. The study showed hugs increased levels of oxytocin, oxytocin, a bonding hormone, and reduced blood pressure which cuts the risk of heart disease. 
But writing in the psychosomatic medicine, the researchers said women recorded greater reductions in blood pressure than men after their hugs. But then an article dated June 10th, 2017 from the Pueblo Chieftain uh, had an article about a professional hugger. Anyone who knows me knows I am a hugger, so the one that intrigued me the most was a professional hugger who earned $59,000 a year, $59,000 a year by hugging. That all seemed a little sad to me. Why would anyone charge someone? There must be a lot of people out there in need of something as basic as life-changing as a hug. It gives the benefits of hug and boost oxytocin levels, which heal feelings of loneliness, isolation, and uh, anger. Hugs strengthen the immune system, relaxes muscles, and releases tensions, balance out the nervous system. But uh, on this professional hugger, Virginia Satter, a respected family therapist, believes that we need four hugs a day for survival. We need eight hugs a day for maintenance, and we need 12 hugs a day for growth. Well, my wife and I haven't been keeping up with that, my wife said, but it's the quality that counts, so not the number of them. But uh, we still have to try to increase the number as we, we can. But Samantha Hess, a professional hugger, certifies people to become professional huggers. Uh, you need a job? A, hug, a hugger earns $1 per minute per session, and Samantha has racked up over 100,000 minutes of hugging. The sessions are strictly platonic, meaning no hanky-panky. Professional huggers certainly serve a need. Some say it's due to the age of technology. Having online relationships can keep people socially isolated and without the benefits of human touch. But there's an emerging generation of people who are looking for more connection than social media can give. So we've just covered another way of honoring God, and that is by encouraging one another. Next, I think that was number six. I've lost count. Sorry about that. We'll say number seven, seek advice from your parents. Seek advice from your parents. How many of you children have done that? And, of course, some of you older adults have uh, you sought advice from your elderly parents. Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Let's turn back to uh, Proverbs, the uh, second chapter. Good, we have a little more time. Uh, some of our people at, uh, in Charlotte have had the habit of reading one chapter of Proverbs a day. And uh, so today would be the 8th of July. Some of our brethren would be eating, reading the 8th chapter of Proverbs. But notice, if we are going to seek advice from our parents, we seek advice from our heavenly parent. But Solomon was writing to his son. At the same time, it's a message from God our Father to us as his children. So notice, there are six chapters in a row that start off with my son or my children. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom, 
Apply your heart to understanding if you cry out for discernment. Lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her for silver and search for her for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the eternal gives wisdom. His mouth gives knowledge and understanding. So when we read these Proverbs, brethren, we need to think not just that Solomon is saying this to his son, but our father is saying this to us. So you look through the next chapters. Chapter 3. My son or my daughter, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. Verse 21 of Proverbs 3. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Chapter 4. Hear my children the instruction of a father and give attention to my under- to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Verse 10, hear my son and receive my sayings. Chapter 5 of Proverbs, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. So are we doing that? Are we listening to our father? Verse 7 of chapter 5, therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Chapter 6. My son, if you become surety for your friend, you have shaken hands with a, in a pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Verse 20, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Chapter 7, my son, keep my words and treasure my commands. So God gives us wonderful instructions as a father to his children. We need to pay attention to those instructions. And at the same time, we want to make sure that we're honoring our parents and our grandparents. We want to learn from them. My uncle Bob Hayes uh, died some years ago, but her, his granddaughter interviewed him uh, with the old tape recorder and then transcribed it. And when he died, my cousin sent me the interview of the transcription, and it was very inspiring to see what the granddaughter had asked of her grandfather and how much was a bread of life, a bread of loaf of bread cost was 10 cents when he was a boy. What instrument did you play in the army? He played the trumpet. Uh, how many uh, apple trees did you have on your farm? Uh, 365 apple trees. Well, that's the same farm as my mother, and I didn't know that before. So some of our family have done a wonderful job in interviewing, even recently, the Lehman Lions reunion a couple weeks ago, uh, Joshua Lyons, who gave the sermonette, and Darren Brinson interviewed their grandparents, Mr. and Mrs. Joshua, uh, Joshua, Lehman Lyons Sr. And they videotaped two hours of an interview, and they asked them, what were your parents like? What was it like when you were growing up? How did you come into the church? 
Ask advice and get background from, background from your parents and grandparents. Mr. Mike DeSimone uh, and his family were visiting his grandmother. He mentioned that up in, uh, he was up in New York. His grandmother is 89 years old. And he was able this uh, last, uh, last weekend, July 4th weekend, and visiting with his grandmother, 89 years old, to ask about the family background in Italy and learn so much more, even at this late stage in his life, not too late in the stage of life, but in his grandmother's life, to get that family background. So parents and grandparents and extended family should be ready to encourage, teach, and inspire their children. I have a 86-year-old cousin in, uh, in Connecticut, and uh, I knew him when, I was, when we were growing up. He's five years older than I am, and uh, when he went into the Air Force, we, we both knew my grandfather, William Allen Ames. We were close to my grandfather. And when my cousin Ken went to the Air Force, my grandfather wrote him an encouraging letter. I happened to discover it in the old desk that I inherited from my grandfather. Here was the original letter my grandfather wrote to my cousin Ken when he was going into the Air Force. Dear Ken, May I congratulate you on your successful examination for the service you have chosen in defense of your country. God grant that it may mean a great blessing to you as you join with a multitude of other young men like yourself in this loyal effort. I feel sure this will recall to your mind your Boy Scout pledge. Upon my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country, to obey the Scout law, etc., to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. My grandfather continues with his letter to my cousin. You have now reached the sage in life where you must begin to meet the duties and responsibilities of life and help to lead the way to higher and holier condition. This we cannot do, but we have the awesome assurance of divine help. Read Psalm 37, verse 6. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. As you move among the mighty throng of your men, you may possibly contact some who have not been privileged to learn and know of the true and godly life. Be careful in choosing your associates as far as possible. Many true and loyal Christians you may also find. Choose them as your companions and friends. Join with them in such church service as you may from time to time find available. Read your Bible daily. This will bring you the comfort and peace you can get nowhere else. Remember that your old gramp, his grandfather was called gramp, remember that your old gramp has been praying for you since boyhood, babyhood and is still doing so. Choose the best and be satisfied with nothing less, and you will find this is the way of wisdom, love from Gramp. To me, it's just a very touching letter. So hopefully you grandparents will give advice to grandchildren, and grandchildren will seek advice from parents and grandparents. That was, I believe, number seven. Number eight, honor your family reputation. 
I won't turn. Well, we might as well. I'm going to open to Proverbs here. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. So honor your family reputation. So your conduct, you're known from whether your school, schoolmates, your neighbors, uh, where you shop or whatever, wherever you travel, extended family. Uh, what is your reputation? Are you honest? Are you... Uh, morally straight. So you need to honor your family reputation, a good name, your character, your conduct, your behavior, your reputation. Your, do you have integrity? Do you keep your word? But we need to also honor our church family as well. We are the salt of the world. We're the light of the earth. We're the ambassadors for Christ, Second Corinthians 5, verse 20. And remember what Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So honor your family reputation. Number nine, if I've had these correct, be sure to read the booklet Successful Parenting by Dr. Jeffrey Fall. I'll just give one quote from that booklet. We understand that not every child reared in God's church will catch the vision and develop in God's image. But it is a given that our efforts will have a foundation on which they can rely, whether in the life, in this life, or in God's kingdom, end of quote. So we discussed several ways of honoring Our parents, we need to honor our parents always. But at the same time, when we honor our physical parents, we honor our Father in heaven. Dr. Meredith wrote concerning the fifth commandment in his booklet, The Ten Commandments. And it's such a wonderful resource, The Ten Commandment Booklet by Dr. Meredith. I hope you have a copy of it. This is what he wrote concerning the fifth commandment. The first four commandments define man's relationship with God. They teach us the magnitude of God's power and name and exhort us to remember him as creator of all that is. The fifth commandment is placed first among those that govern our human relationships. It is not only chief in importance among these when we understand its full meaning, but it acts also as a bridge between the two sections of God's law. For true obedience to the fifth commandment is inevitably linked with obedience and honor toward God himself. So we want to always honor our father and mother. And, of course, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, well, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Were they converted at that point in time? They had God's Spirit with them, but they were not converted, didn't have God's Spirit in them. How did Jesus teach them to pray? Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. They weren't converted. 
but they were still supposed to pray to our Father in heaven. And that's John 14 7. The Spirit dwells with you and will uh, be in you. You might want to turn to uh, Acts the 17th chapter. I just want to talk briefly about the unconverted in their relationship to God as a creator and need to recognize him whether they're converted or not converted that he is the father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And when Paul was referred to the Greeks' poet concept of God, and Mr. Weston expounded on that last week in his sermon, Acts 17, and, uh, well, start in uh, verse 27, Paul's explaining to them the unknown God, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now he's talking to Gentile, unconverted Greeks. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, he's created every human being, By him, he's the life giver. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So God does hear the prayers of unconverted. And all people, all nations should honor God as Father. Dr. Meredith wrote in the booklet, uh, 12 Keys to Answered, Unanswered Prayer, or Answered Prayer, page 8, uh, key number 5, God often hears the unconverted. Dr. Meredith writes, As I look back on my own life, I definitely remember several times when God absolutely intervened in answer to my prayers. He was calling me. He was beginning to reveal himself to me as a real God by intervening in my life. He has done and will do the same for many, many others all over the world. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. So Dr. Meredith concludes, So the Creator will often hear the prayers of weak or spiritually blinded people who humbly pray to him. He will not hear them if they knowingly disobey him or are in a wrong attitude. He will not hear those who directly pray to idols or false gods. But our merciful Father will hear those who, though ignorant of his full revelation, sincerely cry to him as the creator and true God. So thank God that he's willing to hear our prayers if we have the right attitude and Of course, we need to recognize, as I quoted, but let's turn there, Ephesians 3, that he is the father of whom the whole family in heaven and the earth is named. And that is an awesome revelation that the Protestant world and the mainstream Christian world does not really understand because it limits the Godhead to only three supposed persons when God is expanding his very family. Ephesians, the third chapter, 
And um, Mr. Gerald Weston explains that very effectively and uh, articulately in his booklet, John 3.16, Hidden Truths of the Golden Verse. How many of you have at least read one chapter of John 3.16, Hidden Truths of the Golden Verse? Okay, see your hands. Okay, good. How many of you have read? Never mind. I won't go through the whole thing. Uh, but it is such an outstanding booklet. It is, it's long, but it covers the in-depth God's plan of salvation in the Golden Verse, John 3.16. So I hope if you haven't read it through to, to really do that because it explains God's family, who God is. He's not a trinity. God is reproducing himself. He's right here, Ephesians 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Our former association said, oh, well, that should be household, you know, not family. No, the Greek word is patria, and it can mean family. When you have a father who has a son, that is a family. There's no mistaking of what God is. He is Elohim, which is a unipolar word meaning, yes, more than one. So we thank God that we honor him as a father in heaven and that God will also hear the prayers of those who are sincerely seeking him. I was going to ask why should we love God? Well, of course, we have infinite reasons, I might say, to say why we love God. He commands us to, but he gives us physical and spiritual life. And he's begotten us with the truth. Let's turn there to James, that first chapter. I know I've emphasized this before, but it is so awesome when you understand our personal relationships to our Father in heaven and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. James 1, verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. His promises are sure. He cannot lie. Of his own will he brought forth, brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Of course, the King James Version is much better this. But... He begat us with the word of truth as a King James. In other words, God has begotten us with the Holy Spirit that is united with the human spirit, the spirit in man, and we now become a begotten spirit, begotten child of God. Of his own will. When you think of the 7.3 now going on to 7.4 billion people on the face of the earth, Why did God choose you? Why did he choose me? For some he thought, well, for one great reason, he wants a work to be done and he's formed the body of Christ, the church, to perform a work, to fulfill his whole plan of salvation. And we are witnessing to the world that plan through the gospel of the kingdom of God, that we can be a part of his royal family as kings and priests and rule on the earth to teach the way of life and abundant living. Of his own will, 
So God knows every hair on your head, every hair on my head. And to think that he knew you, knows you, loves you to the extent that he begat you, those of you who repented and baptized and received God's Holy Spirit as his child, that is just awesome. We love him because he first loved us, so it tells us in 1 John 5. Christ is the head of the church. He cares for us too and gave his life for us. We heard in the sermonette. And he tells us in Philippians 1.6 that he will complete the work that he started in us. But God has given us his children, the church, the body of Christ, a mission to perform. I turn back there to Malachi, the fourth chapter, Malachi 4. And, of course, we heard uh, part of that mission in the sermonette in Matthew 28, in the last couple verses. Mr. Armstrong emphasized the kingdom of God and the family into which we can be born. He did an Elijah-like work in restoring truth to the body of Christ and in turning hearts of the fathers of the children and the hearts of the children of the fathers. We also have a part in the Elijah-like work. It's part of our responsibility that he's given us. He talks about the dreadful day of the Lord in verse 5, which we've been covering in the Wednesday night Bible study on the book of Revelation. Verse 6, and he will turn, well, first of verse 5, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers of the children, the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest he come and strike the earth with a curse. So we are doing an Elijah-like work in turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children, hearts of the children to the fathers. An Elijah-like work, an Elijah that's going to come before Christ comes will obviously be, as we've spoken before, in terms of the two witnesses, because one of them will be in the type of Elijah and the other one is a type of Moses. When you read Revelation, the 11th chapter, they call down fire from heaven, or that's the Elijah miracle, and turn the waters to blood. That's what Moses did. But they will preparing the way of the Lord, just as John the Baptist did, and he was contemporarily alive in preparing the way for the Messiah, the Lord, to come the first time. And the two witnesses will prepare at the very last three and a half years before the return of Christ, prepare the way for Christ's return. But we also have that mission of developing family relations Turn to Revelation, the 20th chapter. And we also have a responsibility in this day and age as we apply the fifth commandment of honoring our father and mother, honoring our unconverted grandparents, even if our parents are deceased, even if our parents are estranged, even if our parents are missing or we don't know who they are. We can still honor them by being a successful Christian, by applying the seven laws of success. I remember one uh, person said, uh, thinking about 
meeting her unconverted parents in the white throne judgment. I can't wait to tell my parents what I've done since they fell asleep. (laughs) You know, I think my father died in 1983 at 76 and a half years of age, and my mother died at age 90 in January, uh, February uh, 2000. And uh, I wonder if they'll ask me, Richard, what did you do after I died? What did you do with the rest of your life? So it'll be a wonderful time to be connected once again to those who have not been in the first resurrection, but will be in the white throne judgment. So we pray for our parents, pray for your children, pray for the church family. And in Revelation, the 20th chapter, we see about the great white throne judgment. There'll be a time when the dead will be small and great. Verse 12, standing before God and books were open. It's the white throne judgment is called, verse 11. But in verse 12, another book goes open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So our example today, and I think of my cousin, Ken, in Connecticut, that he'll probably be in the white throne judgment. And when he dies, he's 86 now, I'll say, well, Richard, what do you do? What did you do after I died? And and, uh, I hope that when he sees me glorified as a glorified king and priest, he won't say, what is Richard doing there? I hope that my example in this life will be a light to him and a witness to him. And In fact, he just gives me a call now and then just out of the blue on a cell phone. So let's remember, brethren, that Jesus Christ said, He who is my mother, brother, and sister is one who does the will of God. And we honor God. We fulfill the fifth commandment by doing the will of God. God is creating a loving family, and we're looking forward to the resurrection and the coming kingdom of God when the family will be together. And the royal family will be one with the Father and the Son as kings and priests and the bride of Christ. We have a family mission to preach the gospel. We're privileged to be God's children. And he continually bestows his love upon us as we continue to love one another learning to honor our father and mother by our life and our conduct, our attitudes. We continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We honor God, honor your family by being a success in life and a faithful Christian. So, brethren, let's all fulfill our responsibilities as fathers, mothers, children, honoring our families, our parents, our spiritual family, the church around the world, and More importantly, our Father in heaven, the new Jerusalem above, the mother of us all, and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank God for his commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which your father has given you. Let's honor our parents always.